This time on PlayStation Rumble, we chant, whistle, and fart our way through a piece of PlayStation platforming puzzle perfection while trying to overthrow our malevolent corporate overlords as we play PlayStation 1 classic Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. Hello and welcome to PlayStation Rumble, a podcast where each episode we take a deep dive into a PlayStation title from the past. My name is Jamie and joining me as always is the wonderful Tony. Hello. And equally as wonderful, Joshua. Nice save there. <laughs> Joshua's not too happy with that one, Jamie. <laughs> I'm just leaving that there. Uh, if you want to keep up to date with everything PlayStation Rumble, you can follow us on Twitter at PS Rumble. And for all your comments and requests, email us at PlayStationRumblePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to skip straight to the discussion on Abe's Odyssey, you can look in the time stamps in the show notes. Our next game is going to be Guacamelee. That's my choice. You're welcome, guys. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's, it's a bagger. I like a, good, I like a good Metroidvania. Yeah, my first Metroidvania. Really? Wow. Yeah, so we'll see how Dang. I feel about it in the next episode. But first, it's time to catch up on what we've been playing. And let's start with you, Tony. What have you been playing? I played through, I finally completely played through uh, Doom 2016. I thought it was kind of all right. It was good, but then I think it kind of got a little repetitive towards the end, but it was still fun. Um, I played through Tunic, which uh, if, I didn't, if I had played it last year, it would probably have been like my game of the year behind Elden Ring, of course. And then um, my most favorite of the ones I played, Signalis, which is a like old school throwback to um, Savar Horrors games from like the PS1, PS2 era. Good choice. And if I had played that last year, that would have been my game of the year because I fucking love Signalis. Uh, I highly recommend it to fucking everybody. Mm. The story is just one hell of a fucking mind bending tease this entire fucking time. Um the game has actual puzzles, like old school. Let me check my notebook right now. It has just fucking all the different puzzles I had to do on there. You have to like, uh, there's one in particular where you have to find these uh, key cards. And you find this one blank key card that you have to put like a code on it for it to work to fit in its own slot. And so I find this one, this one book has like these markings on it. And I figured that was for the key card. So I spent like an hour trying to get this fucking key card to work. And then it, uh, then I, eventually found out it was something else but it was just like when i figured it out what i was what i was doing was wrong and then i figured out what to do it just was just so sad so fucking satisfying and it's like that for a lot of the games where i just i just went around reading documents writing everything down because it might fucking be important for something later and it's just that feeling where like i figured it out all by myself and then it has this like twisted has this weird not weird but the the storytelling is very interesting the way it approaches because um it kind of flip-flops between like this like a uh, third person overhead kind of thing like in the resident evil games and shit and then all of a sudden sometimes it'll randomly go into like a um not randomly but it'll go it'll do like story segments in first person of like another character and you kind of just have to you're just trying to figure out what's going on and it's such a well-designed story 
well put together. Um, all kinds of like different obvious influences it took from it, like Resident Evil, Silent Hill, Lovecraft, Evangelion. Uh, just it's just this good mix, this weird mixture of all this stuff that just and it just works. And um, like I said, if I had played that before the end of last year, it would be my game of the year. I've heard really good things about it. I I don't know that that style of game is for me, but everyone I've everyone I've talked to that has played it has said this is some next level stuff. It's worth it's I'd say it's worth for almost everyone to check out because you don't think it's for you, but it's more modernized than it's not like strictly oh it's going to be you know tank controls and shit like that. It's not trying to carbon copy the old formula to a T. Like it has modern elements. Like the combat's still just. All right, but there's an explanation for it because uh, I think the character you're playing as, basically you're playing as like an android or a replicant, they call them. And you're trying to find somebody, um, similar to something like Silent Hill, but you're trying to go around the space station to try to find somebody. And I think she's like a, not an engineer, but she's like, each replicant has their own specific job that they're supposed to do. And her job, she's not a combat replicant, so she's a little... Not that great the shooting, the shooty, shooty, bang, bang stuff, but she's still competent. But like, it, it's, it's like an in-store explanation on why she isn't the greatest compared to, well, that's it. Cause th- there's a reason why, there's a story related reason why she isn't the greatest, but you know, it makes sense. Similar to like Silent Hill 2, where James is, James isn't exactly the best in combat, but it wasn't like, this wasn't a, uh, wasn't being held by, by the technology. It was just, it was a conscious choice to make her just okay instead of like you know being like a one man gunning um gunning everything down you know mm. I, even, I would even recommend to jamie it's not that scary jamie but you're scared of your own fucking webcam today so <laughs> i'm scared of jamie's webcam today my my webcam was going full-on ring like japanese ring not not us um i was i was thinking the other day about like how uncharted and all these sort of games always get like such a hard time uh for like the lunar narrative dissonance of Drake being like an okay guy, but like plowing down like millions of people. And I thought that doesn't, that criticism never gets levied at like stuff like Silent Hill, where you've got all these really abstract puzzles. Like in no world where if Silent Hill was real, would I be trying to like carve a piece of soap into a hook so I can get a key from a drains and unlock a you know, magic box or something. Well, there's really nothing like that in Signalis. Like a lot of the puzzles make sense for the environment you're in. Okay. Plus, visually and everything is just f- fucking fantastic. The entire presentation and the, the soundtrack is one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard in gaming. Like, it's just really fucking good. You just want to put it together. You want to see how everything's connected and what's going on. What the fuck is even going on? Because you're kind of just thrown in there like, oh, hey, something happened. Figure it out yourself, you know, basically. Anyway, uh, enough about me. How about you, Joshua? I've been bouncing around a lot to try and find a game that's really stuck with me. And for about half of the time we've been apart, I couldn't really get into something. I kept, I kept getting a few hours in and turning away, but there were, there were a few games that, that stuck. And one is I went back to Neo two. I had all the DLC that I still hadn't completed and I wanted that platinum trophy. And I did both of those things. Let me tell you guys, when I say this game is incredible, I mean every word. That game, the combat in that game alone is so good. I I could not sing its praises enough. Um, can I ask a stupid question? What's Neo? It's a Souls-like. 
I and for those of you for those of you neo fans out there, I'm only describing it this way for ease of explanation. <laughs> Preempting the fan base. <laughs> it's similar to a cross between Dark Souls and Monster Hunter, to where it's it is very difficult, but it's designed in a way that you essentially get to become the boss as long as provided that you kit your character out appropriately and that you're skilled enough in combat that you can come out on top so you you go through missions and there's so much enemy variety the bosses are all designed really well enemies are all designed really well and you go through this curve this it is a pretty hard wall at the start of this game is really not like any other games it 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 is kind of a souls like but it's not played in the same way to the point where it's okay just dodge the attack, go in, roll, hit. It doesn't work that way. You have to block and parry and be really aggressive. And it's com- it's a completely different beast. And it was made by the same the same team that did Ninja Gaiden. And it really shows with just how visceral and how rewarding it is to play. There's a really huge there's a really huge skill skill ceiling. So the difference between a player who's gone in a thousand hours and a player who's just starting, it's like night and day. It's really something else. I, I strongly recommend it. And the and the platinum itself isn't that hard. It's the the hard part about the platinum is playing the game itself and learning how to play the game. There's really nothing in in the trophy list where you have to do anything beyond what the game asks of you. So if you play it and you get into it, then the platinum kind of you can if you're being if you're being intentional from the start you can pretty much get it as you go. So, I'm very excited for their next game, Wo Long Fallen Dynasty, which essentially looks like Neo 3. And the other the other things I've been playing, I've been going through Secret of Mana, a game that I've been wanting to play for a long time and I'm finally getting into it. And then I am also going through the Mass Effect trilogy. I've heard the buzz, and now I'm ready to experience it for myself. Are you? Uh, are you in uh, part? You're in part two yet? I am in Mass Effect Two. I am nearing the end, so I'm doing some cleanup missions to build out the team, and then I think I'm gonna go to the point. I think I think what I assume is the point of no return. So I'm really enjoying Mass Effect Two. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Depending depending on what you do, but maybe prepare for some heartbreak. There were there were some moments in Mass Effect One where I was like, I genuinely like either I don't want to make either decision, and the level of decision making where they really make you stop and think, what do I do here, and what are the consequences of my decision? So I I really appreciate that. There aren't many games that do that. Who's your waifu? I guess as the kids call it. I haven't. I know that there is a relationship element, but I haven't. I haven't come across really any sort of. I, By then, yeah, I, I think I was like my character was into uh, Shipper was into Tally in my in my game. Tally's pretty awesome. If I had to pick, I would I would probably pick Tally. Most people pick Tally because Tally's fucking the shit. Because I don't care about Miranda. Miranda just reminded me of um, Sigourney Weaver, so I was like, oh, she's. I, I was kind of <laughs> you know, she's a stand-in. Yeah, it was very much you know you know Sigourney Weaver from like Aliens, you know that. Yeah, era. so I was definitely. Into her, but you know, you can go for Tally, dude. I think Mass Effect is one of those games that I've always wanted to play as well. 
I, I played it alone on the merit of anyone I heard who said, if I could wipe my brain and play a game the first time, it would be Mass Effect. That was enough that I decided, okay, I need to play this. And there's there's the reverse of that. If there's any one game that can be wiped from their memory forever and never play again, is Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> I've heard the tales of that one too. Isn't that the one where there's literally like a box, like a loot box that you open, and it and it says Jimmy, finish these effects later or something like that. Like there's a note from one death to another. The p- the pitch was open world Mass Effect, and they they did not they did not deliver. They delivered an open world. They did not deliver on Mass Effect. <laughs> Well, Jamie, if you're not playing Mass Effect, what are you playing? Um, I played a lot of games, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be kind of brief about some of them. I played The Wolf Among Us for the first time, and that game is bagging. It's like a sort of noir, gritty fairy tale uh, metaverse story. I made that sound awful, but it is actually really good. I think for Telltale games, it's probably one of the best narratives they did, um, but like a bit lighter on like the actual active bits of the game like the puzzles then uh the walking dead or their other games um but that was really good i've played yakuza the original yakuza kwami that's the remaster, remaster isn't it the remake yeah holy shit i love yakuza i love yakuza so much i played zero for the first time like a couple of years ago and i still think about that game like nearly weekly it's just like i've been it, saying that i love yakuza since like 2006 so <laughs> you literally got your hand on your heart as you're speaking <laughs> um fuck yakuza is amazing i heard it being described as like watching the godfather with intermittent clips of the simpsons which sounds terrible but for some reason it just really really works yeah that sounds horrible yakuza is like like a sandwich where every ingredient doesn't go together it's wrong it shouldn't work but when it comes to get, when it, it as a whole, it just it's it's just kind of perfect. Um, I think the first one like it's a bit more serious than the others as it goes on. I know like zero is a lot more sort of silly, and the story isn't quite as good. But fuck me, Yakuza is fantastic, and I didn't realize that they were set at Christmas. Are they all set at Christmas, uh, Tony? No, not that I recall. Um, I mean, zero was set at Christmas, and one has been set at Christmas. No, because because uh, I'm I'm actually a uh... I'm actually in the middle of a replaying part three, and that one's set in like it begins in a of of Kiru taking care of a bunch of orphans because of course he is always orphans so, with these yakuza's. It's on it, but he's like on a beach, and it's like the most colorful PS3 game you're ever going to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think my biggest criticism of it is like it's quite easy, and particularly in the like the, the actual fighting mechanics are a lot more shallow than in zero you can just like mash away through it and there's no real incentive to do anything else so i think the whole game tends to be like really easy with these like extreme difficulty peaks of like stonewall bosses like only a few of them but like something's not not quite sort of balanced out there i think zero is a bit better at it uh, kiwami 2 actually takes the newer fighting style because kiwami is just the more basic one but kiwami 2 has this whole it's it's like playing a complete, literally a completely different game because I jumped, I played Kwame and Kwame 2 back to back. And when I jumped into Kwame 2, it was just, it's a lot more fluid. It's a lot different, but it's better in all the possible ways. I look forward to it next Christmas. Um, it's fairly short. 
No, no Yakuza game is fairly short. I mean, one took me 35 hours. Kiwama one, Kiwami 1 and 2 are fairly short compared to Yakuza Kazuya. Yeah, a 60-hour Persona game would be short, too. <laughs> and, and I got a Switch. Guys, I got a Switch. I finally gave in. I jumped on the train. I live in Switch Town. It's amazing. I realized that I kind of always have just had Playstations and... It's expensive, you know, these things cost a lot of money and it's, you know, you've got to kind of pick and choose your battles in life. So I thought I'll just like plow through with PlayStation. But I didn't realize what a huge kind of high budget, family friendly, platformy hole there was in my heart for video gaming and Nintendo. That's what Nintendo feels, isn't it? It feels that hole like, like no one else. Uh, so I've been loving it. I've been playing so much Mario. I'm going to, I'll report back on it next episode because it's, um, it's still kind of fresh, but. Turns out the Switches are right. Go buy one. Everyone else has. There are a lot of classics on the Switch, Jamie. And Nintendo's built their entire brand on a lot of these characters. And Sony, well, not quite to the same extent. They've still got they've still got some classic characters in their back catalog, which leads us into this episode's game, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. Oddworld Abe's Odyssey is a cinematic puzzle platformer released in 1997 by Oddworld Inhabitants. You control the unlikely hero Abe as he learns his people are next on the chopping block to become the next delicious snack. He goes on a quest to rescue all the Mudakins from Rupture Farms with his wit, chants, and whistles. Alrighty guys, Abe's Odyssey, 1997, this was my choice. And... This is a game and I suppose a franchise that holds a holds a very near place in my heart. I I don't want to date myself here, but I am as old as Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. <laughs> I think you directly dated yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I directly dated myself, but I remember this game and Exodus were some of the first games I played as a child and they still they still leave an impression on me. Tony, what's your experience with Oddworld? Well, I'm about to date myself because I was like maybe 13 when I played this. Um, my buddy had had a PlayStation. He bought a PlayStation. He bought all the new fucking consoles. He had the fucking N64 when it came out. And I used to borrow from him to play Super Mario 64. And then he had this. He bought a PlayStation. And he was out at this kid's house on the street. I remember I ran there and he had this. Final Fantasy VII and Symphony of the Night. So those are, I think, his first three games. And so we that's had, a great mix. Yeah, good, good choice, Pickens, I guess. So that so I'm familiar with it because I'm an old man and I played it when I was a kid. Jamie, what's your what's your experience with Oddworld? Well, like the uh, the Goldilocks of podcasting, I'm the middle aged uh, host of the podcast. So I was I was like a kid when this came out. Never played it. Never played it when it came out. I think maybe. I don't know if the art put me off when I was like nine years old or some games just don't come into your orbit, do they? Mm -hmm. Some games do, like Roll Cage, sick game. And then I played a little bit of it like a, a year or so ago um, and just never got any further. So I was 
looking forward to playing it this time for the podcast. And I think we are. I think probably an important distinction to make that we're playing the like the OG Oddworld, aren't we? We're not playing the remake of New and Tasty. Yes, we we are we are playing Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. We are not playing Oddworld New and Tasty, which is a remake of Abe's Odyssey. Different enough that we felt it was important to make sure we were playing the original. So with that, speaking of differences between the original and and the remake, we're going to go into Jamie's favorite section. Yeah. What's the Metacritic? And I'm very honored to be to be the first uh, guinea pig host for this. This feels fucking weird being on the other side. <laughs> and, and to not have to guess. So, Jamie, you're going to have to go up against my arch rival, Tony, <laughs> as he picks. I'm gunning for you. <laughs> so, Oddworld to Abe's Odyssey for PlayStation 1. Tony, what's the Metacritic? Let's see. Um, 87. Jamie, what do you got for me? It's so weird to be on this side of the table. Um, but way too low, way too low. 91, easy. Tony's 87 and Jamie's 91. Well, Jamie, get your losing streak started now. Because <laughs> the Metacritic for Abe's Odyssey is 85. Shut the front door. 85? <laughs> I was going to fucking 85. say 85. I was going to fucking say 85. And I, and I raised it two points. In 1997, this was at 91%. I don't care who you are talking to. Fuck. This game stands out now. The user the user score is at 8.8. .8. Jesus. Cretins. Well, Damaso7 on Metacritic gave it a 7. And he he says, Interesante y bien ejecutado. <laughs> nivel de dificultad razonable <laughs> y nova y crea escuela well said finally someone willing Very to speak well the said. truth <laughs> finally someone ready to Good say man. what we're all thinking that yeah are you going to translate that for us no <laughs> learn spanish it did i can it's funny i can i can read spanish but i i don't translate well do you understand what that means i can understand a few words well i'm so glad you read that it says it's interesting the difficulty's reasonable, <laughs> and I don't understand the last. I don't understand the last sentence. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Psst, Google Translate. <laughs> I, I said not well. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So before we dive into the game proper, I do want to touch on the development a little bit. It was developed by a team called Oddworld Inhabitants, and this team was led by a guy named Lauren Lanning. And this guy, he's pretty. He's got a pretty ambitious mindset. He had sort of a a vision for what Oddworld's supposed to be, where he's going to go with it, and he had this like five game vision that was going to start with Abe and then move move across like characters and genres. And it started out really well. Uh, it was a really smooth development cycle, and. For the most part, they didn't have too many snags, except for they had to cut some stuff for the technical limitations. And then there was there was some executive at, I think it was GT Interactive was their publisher at the time. Someone who tried to like sabotage them and <laughs> prevent them from shipping the game because back then games were like just stupid toys and nobody cared and corporate people wanted bigger stuff or 
I don't I don't really know how all that works. Even he had to convince his business partner that they should make this into a game rather than a film. Because he had, well I, well, I think so obvious about when you play this game and hearing him talk in interviews is that this was like, a, he he wanted to create a, like a world. He wanted to create like this sort of fancy setting. He, you know, growing up with like Star Wars, just this idea of creating a like cohesive, uh, like universe to sort of play in. In the early stages, it was like probably going to be a film, but games had always, always been a part of his life. He spent a long time when he was young in the arcade. I think his dad was like developing the ColecoVision or was like a part of the ColecoVision in some way. And I only, and I think it's only when he like realized he was kind of shit hot at like computer graphics and with a background in art and like, what well, I mean, this was like 1997. Visually, cutscenes weren't looking as good as what Oddworld were providing. And I think also like games were probably about 5 million to make rather than, you know, tens of millions. Yeah, I think that, I think that actually was the budget for Abe's Odyssey was four to five million, somewhere in there. Not the not the hundred and hundred and sixty million we just saw for the Callisto Protocol. Yeah. <laughs> Every a penny well spent, and I think he just wanted to get this 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 world out. Uh, and in games that would be possible, you you know you can knock out five of those. Uh, very distinct. He's a really interesting guy, isn't he? Oh yeah, he cares about it. There's been there's been a lot of troubles with Oddworld and how that IP has been handled. And Lanning, he's a charismatic guy, but. I do think that in a way he doesn't I don't know that he fully understands the what people love about Oddworld versus what he loves about Oddworld. I do think especially now there's a little bit of disconnect and you could really see that with the reception to Soulstorm. Mm, I'm very interested to play Soulstorm. But instead of getting into that, this is about Abe's Odyssey. So we're going to shift and we're going to talk about the gameplay. So the gameplay in Abe's Odyssey is, over the years, I've found it difficult to describe because it exists in in so many different spaces that it's not like anything I've played prior or since. It's it's a puzzle platformer, but Abe has weight and platforming is that's a little fast and loose because the goal the goal isn't necessarily that you have to like aim your jumps or anything because the game is really the game is really precise so you it's like based on a tile system so it's more about positioning and timing and figuring out what the challenges are so it's got a lot of different things but they're all mixed to create this to help enhance the world and create something really unique and i think it i think my my take on it overall is that they really knocked it out of the park for a first go around. This is something totally original and takes the best of all of its mechanics to create, create and execute their vision. What are your thoughts on the gameplay, Tony? Uh, it's very similar to like the cinematic platformers, like, uh, the original Prince of Persia, um, flashback, uh, um, another world and games like that. It's very, um, very, very similar to those to where 
there's precise movement movement and there's precise moments where you have to jump and precise movers you have to do such and such to you know make it through every stage uh it works well uh it's fine for what it is um i played the ps5 version which i noticed there was some kind of a just like there's more like input lag than normal and i couldn't always do the precise jumps but thank god it was every uh the rewind functions because otherwise i would never some of those like uh there's one section where you're running and it's like for a full minute you have to run and jump and dodge and i would have not have been able to finish it without that fucking uh, rewind option having a rewind button on this would have been a game changer (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think it would probably be more tolerable playing like on a like a standard ps1 on a crt that probably been a lot more manageable but holy shit i was i was i couldn't wait to get past some of these parts because it was just overly frustrating but i can't really blame that for the game because i don't remember it being like that when i played it back in the day i'm i'm, I'm assuming it's because of the I'm not gonna really blame that blame the ps5 or anything like that but the way it was designed it was more meant for to play on a on a crt on a ps1 or a ps2 compared to playing on you know 20 something years later on a ps5 do you mean that T in like a uh, a visual or graphical sense, or do you mean it in like a gameplay sense? Kind of both, because there are some things where I mean we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but um, if there's things I didn't know to look for, like you know how like if you're under a ledge and you see like the dirt falling on the ledge, if I didn't know to look for that, I would have noticed it because on a CRT it's a lot more noticeable compared to on a on a flat screen LCD because the game looks at least on my mind maybe it was just. Because it's pre-render backgrounds, so pre-render backgrounds upscaled and everything. It looks kind of like a blurry mess sometimes, depending on the areas. So I'm playing it on a PS3 with like the original PS1 disc on you know modern TV, and like one of the first things that struck me about this is how good it actually still looks. I really really liked it, and the other thing I really liked was that it's not like most other games where like the emphasis is on saving people rather than killing people, and I found that quite refreshing. The problem with the grid-based system is that, like Super Mario, if you run and you stop, there's like a like a little bit of lag to that. Like it, that was quite common in platformers, wasn't it? At the time, where you kind of like skid a little bit, and if something's chasing you and you're running towards that basket, you have to predict that you'll probably have to stop four steps before to just skid right into the right position to jump onto that basket. And the amount of times I didn't get that right is upsetting i died a lot in this game because of things that felt slightly unfair sometimes like i was saying like some of the chase sequences you have to press the jump button a split second before you actually have to jump otherwise he's gonna skid right off the ledge or right into an enemy i'm a lot more familiar with exodus than odyssey and in exodus i don't recall having the issue where i couldn't quite get into the tunnel it's mostly to a way where if you're running and you push up at the right time, you can just kind of like stop and go in and, and you're safe. And you can do that pretty consistently. But that was something else I did encounter playing this one. But I got to say, what I like about the gameplay in, well, I guess, the, these first two Oddworld games is every obstacle and every enemy has their own set of behaviors. The Dawkins will all behave a certain way. Sligs all behave a certain way, the scrabs, the paramites, you know, the bone saws, and they take their liberties to sort of mix and match them and put them and put you in different environments where you have to use your knowledge of how Abe controls, how he interacts with the Vudakins, you know, 
how the how the chanting will work and they just put you they just mix mix you with these different scenarios to create something that is really out there but also really satisfying i think yeah there's like crazy variety in this game with like mechanic it's got like a really good core like the gem like the premise of the gameplay is like solid everyone knows that and then like they keep just adding shit like on layer by layer and it never feels overwhelming and it always feels cleverly implemented and you can be expressive with how you solve some of those puzzles as provided that you understand the rules of the game it just I, it has the 90s harshness of trial and error platforming mm-hmm. that that does drive me a bit nuts there were a couple things that this game doesn't have that they that they added in Exodus that still bother me and one is no quick save in Exodus there's a quick save where you just pause hit quick save you can do that anywhere you are and you can immediately load that so so they so they definitely knew that there was this sense of trial and error that they kind of wanted to mitigate and the other one is um in Exodus you you have a command that's called Alia and you hit that, and if there are three Mudokans in a room, they'll all respond to you, and they'll all follow you. Oh my god, that was so in <laughs> Odyssey. You can't do that. You got to do one at a time. So it makes so it does make saving Mudokans a little a little complicated at times. Um, but I do want to. I'm curious to know. Uh, we'll start with you, Tony. Did you end up saving enough Mudokans? I was like. Four or five shy of the fifty you needed to get. Oh man! And then it was like, uh, and then then it was like, oh, it's since since you best been in the game, and I went, nope, and I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm done. <laughs> He's dead. It's fine. Abe's dead. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine for me. That's my canon. Yeah. Um, I knew specifically going in that you needed fifty to get the good ending. Uh, so I did. I did make the effort. I don't know if I would have made the effort if I didn't. Uh, know that I would get like a uh, a good ending and it really is the good ending and the bad ending isn't it it's like one you're the hero well done and one uh, all your people kind of turn their back on you say you didn't try hard enough and you die like there's literally no (laughs) (laughs) you didn't save us we hate you die (laughs) they literally I think they literally go he did nothing and they kill you I'm like okay well (laughs) fair enough but to its credit, like the puzzle design and the level design is like stellar in this game. The puzzles were always like at that perfect difficulty where it takes you a hot minute to get it, but you don't have to like end up being so frustrated that you look at a guide and you feel very satisfied when you get it. And nearly every screen in this game is a puzzle. So to get that right was like a must and it did feel good. But there are moments like there's a particular moment where I just couldn't work out how to get up because there's these flies and these flies as soon as they touch you you die and they're oh, always the bats oh sorry bats yeah and yeah so soon like contact with the bats means death and up until this point in the game there's been no way to kill the bats the bats are just like nearly as if they were part of the background they're like on another level and as soon as they you're in their orbit you're fucked and the solution to this was you have throwables throughout the game and you have a throwable on you at this time and you have to throw them at the bats. But there's there's been no indication that those two things could even interact. And like, so there are points like that throughout the game where I did look at a guide. But on the whole, I think the art, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and the level design are the two things that are just absolutely on point on this game. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, you touched on the visuals. So I did I did want to make sure we talked about the world building, the atmosphere, the graphics. So let's dive in. 
I'll just for those for those listening who haven't played the game, I don't know why you're listening, but <laughs> get for out you, of here. <laughs> get, sit out and shut up. <laughs> so the plot is Abe is a worker. He's a Mudokan worker at this food processing plant called Rupture Farms. And they're basically taking wildlife and turning them into food for a profit. And they're they're creating food to the point of wiping out populations. So they the 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 Gluckens are like the corporate overlords that come up with this idea with this for this new and tasty snack that they're gonna make. So Abe Abe is excited. He peeks in and he sees that the Gluckens are gonna turn the Mudakins, Abe and all his co-workers into Mudakin Pops. So he immediately decides to GTFO and he goes on this sort of spiritual journey to not only save his friends, but take down Rupture Farms. I'm curious to know what you guys thought of the overall story and particularly Abe as a protagonist. Tony, let's go to you first. Um, story was just all right. I didn't really care for it either way. Blasphemy. There wasn't much to it. It was just he had to save his friends and then that's it really. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't too engaged with it and I honestly never really liked Abe as a character to begin with. So, <laughs> Well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> Could you explain? You see steam coming out of your ears, Joshua. I, mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just something about his voice just always fucking irritated me, I think. Well, he is deliberately like unappealing as a main character, isn't he? He's like the anti-main character. He's, he's pretty ugly to look at. He's got his like mouth sewn together. He's hunched back. He's like he looks like the a sort of low level enemy in your sci fi first person shooter that you kind of just plow down. Like he's like, and I think that's a very deliberate. It's like a husk in Mass Effect, yeah, exactly, or like one of those blah, 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 in like Halos. Um, but that, I think that's a really deliberate choice in a way. Yeah, it was very deliberate, and I just I was never really a big fan of it. And his fucking idiot friends that would just stand there and be enslaved by people that want to eat them and they're just sitting there sweeping the floor as you're like hey follow me follow me and he just says you leave them for three seconds and they're back working again it's just (laughs) absolutely no uh no will to escape they really are corporate zombies aren't they they're just they're just lemmings pretty much that's that was exactly what i was about to say yeah fair shout i think probably i had the same view of abe as you tony at the beginning of the game but by the end of the game i'd really like oversympathized with this character in a way that I didn't think I was going to. And I think that's like the credit of, of the world building in general. In some parts, this this game is not subtle about its story. There's loads of like high corporate guys looking at a, a bar chart of profits going up and going, <laughs> and they've got like cigars like coming out. But there's no, <laughs> there's no like subtext going on about, you know, corporation bad, you know, the, the worker good. But I rate how many like ideas and like themes are in this game considering we're still talking about like 97 and most games are we're still kind of just about leaping off the save the princess era of like plots lone Landon talks a lot about his experiences in in his life like coming into this like he used to drive a fork truck for like food distribution in i think like the south bronx and he was saying Sometimes you'd get a a load of food in and it was like, it was like a dead pallet because you knew as soon as, by the time that had hit the shelf, the date on it would be, uh, expired already. So they'd end up like throwing all this food away. 
right in in South Bronx, where like on the streets there were like people starving and like absolute, you know, incredible poverty and starvation. And he thought that's so screwed up. So like loads of things from his life have come into this. It's got like stuff about environmentalism, uh, corporations. Um, it's just really, really ambitious for the time. And I thought that was like really cool. Yeah, the 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 plot itself isn't particularly interesting on its own because like Tony was saying, it is just Abe has to go save his friends. It's soiling green with uh aliens. Yeah, it's it's really it's really simple and it's it's the kind of story that we've seen before, but I think in its execution is is where it starts to shine and how that Abe is the most poorly suited protagonist for the particular task in this game. And that's precisely, in my opinion, what makes it what makes him compelling and what makes the overall narrative compelling. You you want Abe to succeed because by all means he shouldn't succeed, physically speaking. And that and that goes along with, you know, he's been beaten down by the system, by a very overtly evil corporation that just like burns things and that's just random bone saws right next to <laughs> slaves and you know stuff your normal corporations do but um i do like abe as a character i don't like his voice in this game but i like his voice i like his voice in the the games after this one where they where lorne kind of nails down the direction a bit better the the way they frame the story and the way that the narrative devices they're using like max Payne, kind of the story of Max Payne was saved by that comic book noir style. Like mm-hmm. this is kind of told as like an old folk story with the sort of rhyming kind of nearly sort of fantasy uh, things that you find along the world. So either in really high end uh, cut scenes, you have that bit where he sees the moon and he goes, and I looked at the moon and the strangest thing, its face was my paw. And he like puts his hands up to the paw and I, like all that stuff was really, really effective. And then you get like this scrolls of text throughout, which are talking about, the earth as like this sort of having a relationship with the planet and the thing that you're on. Um, and I thought that was just kind of a cut above everything else that was sort of going on at the time. I've, and it was funny. It was just like fucking hilarious the whole way through. And I think it needed that. Mm-hmm. If you just give a big story about corporations are bad, like who gives a fucking shit? But this game is like one of the funniest games I've played. They do have a really heavy twinge of sarcasm. Yeah. And just, just sort of, hey, this this thing is happening, like something will happen and they just do it in a way where it's just, this is ridiculous. Like this is very obviously ridiculous. Even when the game starts loading, it goes, Odd World is loading, get over it. Like, <laughs> yeah. That is funny. Games aren't funny. Yeah, like, it's funny. Even when every death is like, and that saved me because you die a lot in this game. Every death is like him going off and going, uh, uh. or like when they introduce like a new mechanic, like the levers that you can pull for a trap door, the first time you do it, it kills you or it kills the person you're trying to save. There's like so much slapstick. There's like Buster Keaton level slapstick that's keeping this game going the whole way through. I do want to spend some time talking about the world building in this game and the atmosphere, the visuals, how we're in this alien world, uh, whether it's like a different planet or something, it doesn't really matter. But you have it set up to where 
they just kind of throw you right in and you're in this you're in this factory you go through the jungles you go through these temples and you meet all sorts of really strange creatures that all behave in their own different ways and the world itself is constructed in something that also goes hand in hand with the narrative and helps and helps to enhance it what sorts of emotions did you guys have when you're going through this game like the environments the the characters what sorts of what sorts of thoughts and feelings were you having i mean like we guys mentioned earlier you know the whole i think jamie mentioned it the whole like had very had a the whole native american type theme going on for it it definitely had uh especially with him um, finding the um uh, i guess i guess it would essentially be sages that taught him how to do their different uh, abilities and the chanting and everything i mean it's just very murky and bleak in the center portions when you leave the factory i didn't really connect with the game as much as i thought i would i guess i guess one of the things i'm getting at is uh playing odd world you can tell from the moment you start the game that aesthetically atmospherically there's there's a clear vision there to where everything everything is very clearly alien but it's designed in a way that looks realistic so it's really convincing from the get-go and it has this sort of creepy feel but also silly and it's this really strange juxtaposition that at least for me personally kind of sucks me into the world and that's certainly enhanced by the sprite work and like jamie talked about earlier those pre-rendered 2d backgrounds oh my gosh i wish that more games nowadays were still using pre-rendered backgrounds because the visuals in this game in my opinion apart for some apart from some things that haven't aged super well this game still looks great I think I'm the only one who doesn't think that. I just think, I don't know, maybe it was just my monitor or whatever. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, man. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe, like I said, imagine I just don't like it. But <laughs> maybe it's just you too. <laughs> outside, anything that's outside, the, the, outside, outside the plant just looked, I don't know. I just, it, just, it just didn't grab me. Like, I didn't, I think it would, I honestly think it would look a lot better on like a CRT because on here, yeah, the way it upscaled and everything, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know with my setup. But it just didn't look all that great, honestly. It certainly would look better on a CRT. I agree. With it you would there. definitely look better on a CRT. But I don't. I don't know what the hell was going on. I just didn't. It did not look good at all, man. Maybe something has been lost from like obviously the PS5 version is a sort of not upres, but it's like a port where they've had to make some compromises. Yeah, upsca- it's up. It's essentially upscaled. Whereas I'm playing it. You know, if you play a PS1 game on the PS3, it's the best way you can play a ps1 game on a, on a hdtv mm-hmm. i played it and i played it i, I bought the ps i bought it on the ps5 even though i own it on my computer but i bought the ps5 version just for the sense of authenticity now i'm thinking maybe i should play the pc version because it'll look a lot fucking better on my mind it look, yeah it should look possibly better. yeah i think i kind of alluded to this earlier but this the world building is so consistent in this that it feels very cohesive and like it does it sucked me in completely i think the scrabs and the paramites are a really good example of this they so feel like a like you completely believe that they're a part of this world and the way they look the way they behave backs up every sort of element of the story and there's not a lot of story in this if you just look at the actual narrative or the cutscenes. but they are wasting 
not a pixel kind of you i mean he has he's an artistic background Mm -hmm. and he's very good at this shit and you can really tell and it has that sort of singular vision thing as well that a lot of games kind of lack now from a massive writer's room and you know a team of like one two thousand people so for me this was singing and i think if it wasn't so good i would have given up on this game in frustration a long time before yeah that i think this is it's also bolstered by having cg cutscenes which were kind of a new thing at the time and even looking at them now they still look pretty damn good they look so good and they're animated well I was just trying to think of other games that were coming out at the time. Like, I cannot... When did uh, Final Fantasy VII... Final Fantasy VII was the same year. This looks better than Final Fantasy VII for me. Like, I think he was really into, uh, like, photorealism art, and he was really good at programming, like, computer graphics, 3D computer graphics, and I think that's why he kind of wanted to do do a game, because he realised that, actually, the bar wasn't kind of being met, like, as potentially what they could be doing. And this feels more like an animated... It's closer to an animated film at the time than other CGI cutscenes. Oh, absolutely. And the one thing that every time I play this game, it catches me off guard a little bit, is you go, like, the first section of the game, you go through that little bit, and you get to a door that you go through, and at that point, it shifts from a pre-rendered background to a CG cutscene to where you have the crane that grabs the pod and it transitions it, and I'm like, oh my gosh. He's moving through a door. This looks incredible. The way they've blended that together is so impressive. Or or the other times where you'll go through the door and the camera will like zoom through the environment. Man. I'm 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 not denying that the character animation and the enemy design and the cutscenes, they all look good. I'm not denying that. I just think for a reason, it might just be my eye. Might not just like the game, which is okay, because yeah. I I wasn't too impressed with uh that's not too impressed. I just think a large part of it was the play on the PS5 compared to playing it natively on a on a CRT. I also want to touch on a a bit before before we start to wrap up. I want to touch on the audio design in this game, and this is this is. I, I sound like a broken record, but this is another area where they're using another element of of a video game to enhance the characters and the world building and the gameplay. Every creature, every action, every lever pull, everything has its own distinct sound to it, to where if if I heard a particular sound from the game, I could tell you exactly what it's from or what's making that sound. And it, it it's punchy, and it helps because a lot of times in some of those jungle sequences, you don't have a soundtrack. It's just you and the environment. You'll hear bugs chirping in the background. You'll hear the mines beeping. It's really well done. And it's on its own, isolated. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's nice. Of course, you would want to have distinctive sounds. But when you integrate that with the really strong atmospheric design, and the visuals for this game, I think it just really, really helps sell you on the world. The audio is well designed. I uh, you can hear from the footsteps to just when you uh, you can hear certain traps like the electricity and stuff like that. Certain enemies have this very distinct sound of them walking and just standing still. I remember um, a, a few years back, 
maybe more than a few years back, I was reading how um, some guy was talking about he had like a legally blind brother that couldn't play video games because they, when you're blind or legal, I don't know if he was completely blind, but visually impaired. I think he was completely blind because I know what you're talking about. I noticed where he, he, he played through the entire game just by audio cues. Well, Odd World. This was Exodus. This was an okay. Odyssey. Wow. But- that's very impressive. <laughs> I, I looked up just before this because I do remember that. That was a big thing. And they really refined the audio to the, to a level where you can tell if something's in the same room with you, if it's somewhere else, you can really start to place things. And they, they play around with um, like a surround sound system, that that kind of stuff. But yes. You're both right. Like the, I didn't realize at the beginning how important the audio cues were in this. I'd heard that landing had really fought for keeping music in as a uh compulsory option so it was basically standardized for playstation that if you release a game on playstation you have the option in the menu uh scene to take away the audio to turn the music volume down and landing fought against this because he basically went it's an integral part of this game like you're not going to go and watch you know you're not going to buy jaws on dvd and have the option to turn the music down because that would be stupid, because the music is as much part of Jaws as any other part of it. And I kind of thought, I when I first heard that, I was like, yeah, yeah, Laddin, you know. But actually, when I started to play this game, and then, like, sometimes I was playing it with a podcast, and I realised I was, like, losing loads of information. One of the most obvious bits of this is when you're doing those bombs, that kind of bleep red and green, and you have to tap mm-hmm. it on the green uh, to diffuse it. And I was doing that with a podcast at first, and I didn't realize why it was so hard. But when you t- when I turned the podcast off, I realized it was going beep, 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 boop, beep, 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 boop. And it, like only by listening to the audio, you knew how to complete that next bit. It's very clever. It's very minimalist. I, I, I think it ties perfectly into the world that he was creating. Well said. So before, before we close, I do want to bring up the, the case of the remake. So... After Oddworld Inhabitants released their games on Steam, they got enough money that they decided they were going to were gonna make some new games. And the first game they did was a remake of Abe's Odyssey called Oddworld New and Tasty. They rebuilt the game completely 3D into Unity. Single screens are gone. It was, it was a scroller from start to finish. And I would say the, the overall game has changed pretty heavily as a result of this. So I just want to... Just want to touch on it and see, have you guys played New and Tasty? And if you've played or seen some of it, what are your thoughts in comparison to the original Apes Odyssey? I uh, I think I played it very briefly when um, a few years back, probably like five years ago at this point, they actually gave it away for free on uh, PS Plus. And I just remember not liking the controls because it felt very loose, kind of, I think. That's what I remember because I remember not liking it the way it felt for some reason and i kind of just turned it off and never really went back to it but i mean it could just be me not in the mood to want to play it but i just remember it looking really good but it just didn't feel right mm-hmm. but i mean that could be um, that was also like half a decade ago at this point so who knows what how i feel now right i like new and tasty but only on the virtue that at its core it's it's attempting to be abe's odyssey but it completely misses the tone the overall atmosphere just and not having the single screen design it almost makes it a completely different game it it really just changes it because in the original you can be you can 
pretty much tell how things are going to behave when you've got screen to screen and and there's no guesswork. But when you've got this big, long scrolling stretch, there's all kinds of guesswork involved. And the game, the remake, actually falls into the very pitfall that the game is criticizing. There's a point in the remake where in the background, there's an ad for another indie game that was coming out at the time. And I'm like, you guys, <laughs> you guys don't get it. How do you simultaneously, how, do, how does the original creator get attached to a remake of his baby and he just completely misses like the point? It was, mm. yeah, that is odd. Not a fan. From a design perspective, I don't, I just literally don't understand why they've gone from a single screen to a scrolling screen. It just changes the whole gameplay and it, yeah, bananas. I agree. 100%. I don't get it. For those of you listening out there, if you're thinking about playing Odyssey and you've got an option of this one or New and Tasty, just play Odyssey. New and Tasty is the downgrade. You heard it here first. From what I've seen um, online, like on a Reddit forums and uh, even I think the Steam page, the Steam forum for the, for uh, both games, I think everyone pretty much agrees to play uh, to play Odyssey and then play New and Tasty because they said it's almost two completely different games. They are, yeah. Guys, it's time to sum up our thoughts about this game. But before we get into what our overall impressions were, I want to add to the listeners that we are stepping away from numbered scales. Tony thinks numbers are arbitrary and we have to do whatever he says. So Damn right. We're stepping away from them and we're moving to a scale that consists of really complex options. And they are not recommended, recommended, strongly recommended, and for the for the cream of the crop best PlayStation games ever, our patented is cool out of ten. So Tony, where do you fall on our new scale for Abe's Odyssey? Obviously, I haven't had much to say about it. Um, I didn't really enjoy the game all that much. Uh, I remember liking it a lot more when I was younger. I like the the genre, the whole cinematic uh, platforming puzzle thing. Like I grew up playing you know, Prince of Persia, Blackthorn, uh, Another World, um, and Flashback. You know, I played all those and I liked them. But for every reason, this this time around, it just didn't click with me. Uh, like we mentioned, you know, the animation looks great. That character designs look great. Um, the amount of detail depending on the animation, you know, the the CGI, it all looks great. But I personally just, it just didn't click with me this time around. Uh, I didn't hate it, so I didn't love it either, like Joshua and Jamie did. But um, I would recommend it. You know, it's, it's considered one of the all-time classics. It's definitely... A classic from when I was a kid, even though now I think differently. So I would, uh, I would recommend checking it out. Sure. Uh, how about you, uh, Jamie? I would love to give this like the highest accolade. Is cool, um, but I can't because there's like so much fucking awful '90s trial and error in this game. Um, I think the influence of this game is really widely felt. Like when you do, when you do look at things like Inside. Jesus, that wouldn't exist without um, Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey. I'm going to give this a highly recommend. It's as frustrating as fuck, but 
in terms of world building, narrative, and gameplay variety, I think it still can like throw fists with anything that's coming out in 2023. Highly recommend. Joshua, how do you feel about this game that is a childhood favorite of yours? Um, yeah, well, you kind of you kind of summed it up there for me, didn't you? <laughs> well, it's no secret I like this game a lot. I I love the atmosphere. I love the world building. There's there's so much about this game that I just vibe with. I will say that there there are some elements in this game that make it clear that this was their first outing. Some things that probably didn't work so well and were later and that were later removed like the bats like the elum stuff was kind of i could take it or leave it but overall i think i think the game is really sharp and there really hasn't been a game quite like apes odyssey even now like even insider limbo they're they're similar but they're not quite this is this is still one of the most unique games that's been made and I gotta give it a strongly recommend too. All right, so uh, looks like that is it for this episode. As always, thank you for joining us, and be sure to once again follow us on our social media at uh, PS Rumble on Twitter, and also drop us an email if that's still a thing that people do <laughs> at a uh, PlayStation Rumble Podcast at Gmail dot com, and also uh, looking at YouTube. Just look at it. Subscribe, please. Look at it. And watch and watch my Mirror's Edge video I made, please. Thank you. Uh, PlayStation Rumble on YouTube. And just as a reminder, guys, our next game will be Guacamole. So I uh, look forward to that. And this is us saying goodbye. Goodbye. See you later. By then, I think I was like, my character was into, uh, Shipper was into Tally in my, in my game. Tally's pretty awesome. If I had to pick, I would I would probably pick Tally. Most people pick Tally because Tally's fucking the shit. Because I don't care about Miranda. Miranda just reminded me of um, Sigourney Weaver. So I was like, oh, she's, I, I was kind of, <laughs> you know. She's a stand-in. Yeah, it was very much, you know, you know, Sigourney Weaver from like Aliens, you know, that yeah. era. So I was definitely into her, but, you know, you can go for Tally, dude. I'm sorry, I was just gonna say I'm looking at pictures of Tally now and Tally's hot as fuck, man. Credit, credit to you. Well, I wouldn't go. I mean, okay, Jamie, you're intergalactic. Shit, uh, <laughs> Shit okay, hot. okay, Jamie. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to leave the podcast, guys, for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs>